Welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We are here in Super Wildcard Weekend. It is Friday, January 12th, 2024. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, Dan and I are here to discuss this weekend's matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers coming to Orchard Park in what could be a snowy sludge fest, um, as well as, you know, briefly look back on the final AFC championship victory over the Miami Dolphins down in Miami gardens florida dan what's happening with you my friend i am excited to be in the playoffs but jj i'm also filled with a lot of trepidation as a bills fan um i'm seeing all of the talking media heads uh downplaying how good this chargers team could potentially be in the conditions that are lining up weather-wise in buffalo and i'm seeing a lot of bills 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 when i look at predictions for this weekend and historically speaking, that has always been bad when this Buffalo team enters any type of game situation as a front runner. The spread on this game is still insane. I think it opened at eight and a half. It's now expanded to 10 and a half. So there's a lot of money going on the bills. And But JJ still, um, there's a lot, I think, to be concerned about against this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Add in some of the unpredictable elements that the weather could bring. And I think we're in for a low-scoring, heart-palpitating, potentially agonizing affair for our Buffalo Bills. I think I, I'm with you in that the thing, the thing that the trepidation I have too is that the Bills against the spread when they're when they're like more than two score favorites are like zero and four this year. You know what we see and what we talk about is like okay, this is a um, Pittsburgh Steelers team that's similarly you know around the time that the Bills you know two weeks after the Bills were six and six, the Steelers were seven and seven and had gone on a three-game losing skid. Um, and we're staring back at that, you know, the void in the abyss that they were staring at last season, too, which is, is this going to be the first year under their head coach that he's had a um, b- below 500 season? Uh, and then they turned it around with, of all people and all unlikely heroes, Mason Rudolph. Um, and so, you know, this is a plucky uh, team that's sort of hitting its stride similar to the Bills, which is a funny thing to say. And we'll, I will get into this kind of with the matchups. Everyone's like, oh, the Bills are getting hot right now. The Bills have been limping through these games for like four weeks now, including the Miami game. They're playing basically one good half of football, which tells you what what we've been saying all along about the the nature of this roster. They are an elite roster. They are an extremely talented, kind of in all phases of the of of the um, field, to the tune of being able to replace even massive losses to injury and things like that. That's true. But this, we have not seen a complete victory over a team since the since probably the Dallas Cowboys game with this Bills squad. They have not played kind of all phases complementary football and really kind of put a team away since that game. They've really sort of you know they've just been winning the close games that they were losing that ended up getting um, their OC Ken Dorsey fired. Like that's what's happened is they've kind of flipped the field on those close losses and made them close wins to make it into the playoffs. And I don't want to downplay the the extreme nature of, you know, how important it is that they won the division, that they're the number two seed in the AFC, that they are, it, for all intents and purposes, a team that no one in the AFC wants to play because they found a way to get it done. And there's something to be said for winning those close squeakers. The The NFL is a, is a league where one score wins and losses is the norm. That's the standard. Most Most games are decided in the last three or four minutes of every NFL game. Um, blowouts are rare and that, I mean, the NFL loves that the, um, competition level is what makes it so, you know, uh, dramatic and so much incentive to watch. Um, but what I'm really worried about, same as you 
is that this Bills team is, you know, the clear and obvious favorite. They're clear and obvious favorites every time they play at home. We saw them at home against the Patriots barely win. So I'm worried, especially in a wind game, which we've seen the Bills play in adverse conditions um, three or four times in the past two seasons. Uh, and they've only really come out with one of those wins, and that was against the Dolphins at the end of last year. The other two losses were against the Bengals in the playoffs in the divisional round last year, and then against the Patriots in the win game two years ago. So, you know, adverse conditions late in the year in Orchard Park are not a benefit to these Bills as they're built right now, in my opinion. This has been the, the I think, criticism you and I have both had of this roster build. Regular season-wise, this Buffalo Bills team plays excellent at home. They are 7-1 and one at Highmark, 7-2 and two technically in home games because of that ridiculous London game they had to play against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But in the friendly confines of Buffalo, this team only has one loss on the season. So this is a team that plays well in Buffalo, but we have seen them outside of the New England Patriots wildcard weekend game from a few years back in minus six. This is a team in the Sean McDermott era that hasn't really used home field advantage in the same way in the playoffs. Conditions change, roster build comes more into question. Now, the Bills have tried to address a lot of those things with their work on the offensive line and Joe Brady's improvements to the run game. And those are things that tend to carry well, no matter what the weather is. Add to the fact that while the Bills might not be getting hot at the right time, this Buffalo defense seems to be getting hot at the right time. I would love to say that this is going to be a repeat of the wild card game against the Patriots from a few years back, but I really think what is more than likely to happen is the defense, which it has done so often in this run to the division title, is going to have to carry these bills and yet another game in rough conditions in Buffalo. Agreed. And, I, you know, from the bye, since the loss to Philly and then the bye week, the five-game run that the Bills have gone on to win they haven't let a single opponent score more than 22 points, and that, I think, is what can carry the carry the day for this, this Bills team. Because even though the offense for the, for the Steelers has had a kind of a resurgence um, over these last three weeks, they've been playing middling or bad defenses with Mason Rudolph, specifically middling or bad defenses in terms of coverage. And then they were playing the backups for the Ravens. So people will look at it and they'll be like, oh my gosh, the Steelers beat the Ravens twice this season. No, the Steelers beat the Ravens once, and then they built beat the Ravens second and third stringers once in in kind of uh, Baltimore in a nasty, wet, rainy game. That's not to say it's not a, a quality win or a decent win, because I think the Ravens have a very solid roster, and we've seen the Bills backups beat the Dolphins and other teams in the past uh, when they were kind of riding high and ready to go into the playoffs. So that's something to be said, and I agree with you that the defense has to carry the day because they're the most consistent unit the Bills have. Um and, you know, I think that that's, that's something we can look forward to. I like to see, you know, this defense because Mason Rudolph's passing success has been basically just to George Pickens, number 14, um, on the outside. That is something that benefits the Bills' defense because they have, an, they have an excellent track record of taking away somebody's favorite target. Look at Tyreek Hill. Look at CeeDee Lamb. Over these past, you know, we've recent film of the Bills showing really interesting, you know, um, cover six or bracket coverage or man plus zone coverage in order to kind of erase what a team likes to do with the the roots and, and root tree for a preferred target. And that's something I think they can do against Mason Rudolph and in this game upcoming. Um, do you want to have some quick comments on the, the Dolphins game before we kind of flip and then we'll do kind of keys to victory over the Steelers? 
damn, that game felt good, didn't it, JJ? Like, oh, I, man. I, I mean, I really wish the offensive effort had been a little bit better. <laughs> I'll um, say that half felt good. That From second, the moment that punt return happened, yes. the rest of the game felt great. It really did. It really, really did. I mean, and through the first half of the game, Josh, Josh's two red zone turnovers just befuddling to me, those two throws. I was having flashbacks to that week one game, and I'm like, of course this would be the bookend on the Buffalo Bills season, where Josh gives up and throws away literally the first game of the season, and he does it in the second game of the season as well. But the Bills were able to recover, and it was in spite, I would say, of the offense. Miami came out, they had a clear game plan that they were going to shut down the run game, and they were going to make Josh beat them with his arm. And they did exactly what with what we said they were going to do in the pregame, which is they were going to play outside of their typical style, which is Fangio sitting back, rushing four, dropping seven. Um, they ended up dropping a lot of very well-timed zero blitzes. They were disguising blitz at the line of scrimmage and really had Josh confused for a large part of that first half. And I would argue a good chunk of the third quarter as well. Josh, as he tends to do, assimilated to those blitz pressures really well. And just because of the personnel deficiencies that Miami had, they didn't really have a schematic counterpunch they could put out there. So you felt the game getting away from Miami at that point. On the scoreboard, JJ, this was a game that was very, very close. But when you look at every other stat or metric coming outside of this game, the Bills dominated in every phase, almost double the total yards. Uh, and when you include the special teams yardage, they went for over 500 all-purpose yards in this game. They dominated time of possession, um, 66% of the clock to 30% of the clock for Miami. They had every single statistical aspect of this game locked down, except the timing aspect of it. The timing of those red zone turnovers, the timing of that fumble by Josh at the hands of the the nefarious and evil Christian Wilkins, who we all hate. The wiener grabber. Yes, That's his that name. guy. Christian that guy. Wilkins wiener grabber. <laughs> that guy. All of those, the the Bills won JJ every statistical battle in that game, except the timing battle. And as a result of that, they almost lost the battle on the scoreboard as well. Um, but I don't want what was another inconsistent offensive effort to take away from what was a, a phenomenal defensive effort. And JJ, it's not the pass rush like we thought it would be at the beginning of the season that is holding it down for this defense. It is the secondary. What they are doing pre-snap in disguise and then post-snap rotation is some of the most well-coached schematic adjustments I think I have ever seen as a football fan in my time. And when you take into account they're doing it without Trey White and Razul Douglas, who has been amazing, but a recent addition, and how quickly they've assimilated his skill into that, Christian Benford, you're doing this without your number one draft pick from a couple years ago in Kair Elam, and you're doing it with an aging secondary. Dude, we had Taylor Rapp playing um playing free safety floating coverage on the final game that's not what taylor rap has done in his career taylor rap has been more of a hammer in the box against the run game and a guy who you can deploy and really sh in short yardage bursts the way that they have taken the amalgamation of pieces on this roster in the secondary jj and gotten them to buy into and execute the scheme to perfection it is absolutely unparalleled as far as coaching quality I would put it up against maybe the best coaching job in the league, what this team has done with the secondary. You get a gold star for working amalgamation, which is the word of the pod. Um, if you see us in public and say amalgamation, we'll buy you a beer. Uh, and so uh, with all that, I agree with you completely. 
And this is something to, to be said for McDermott. And I'll say his defensive job over the past five weeks of getting this, this unit ready has been exemplary. On top of that, um, this game against Miami was the first time in the McDermott era ever that I can say I watched a game where I agreed with every single decision he made in a critical moment. And that's something to be said. I, I think that shows the growth mentality we've been begging for for years of when it's, t when it's cl clutch, when it's tight, he does the hard thing, the, the riskier thing. And, you know, the Bills in their own 30 go for it on fourth down um, in a game that's only once they only have a one score advantage. But he trusts his players, his offense to get it. He trusts his defense to stop them on a short field if they have to. And I think that that, that showed a lot of growth. I, that's probably one of the things that gives me the most faith about this squad heading into the playoffs um, over you know the fact that they've been inconsistent on offense, the fact that they've been turning it over the, in, in timely ways, like you pointed out, um, is that the defense is playing solid and consistent, and Sean McDermott has shown that he can be a coach in clutch situations who does the right thing. And this is multiple weeks in a row now that he has trusted his offense to get it done. Last week versus the Patriots, they came out and they did the, you know, try to draw them off sides play we've seen a billion times. And when the, they couldn't draw the Patriots offside on a critical fourth down play, they went for it anyway. And that, that's something that you haven't seen prior to this season. And so that tells me a lot about McDermott probably instead of coaching scared, coaching confident. And that's, I think, a big step. If that's, you know, if that's the story of the season, that can be the story of the season is that this, this unit galvanized around a huge slump, huge change, change and transition in terms of who they had to cover up for on losing early in the year with Milano, Trey White, Daquan Jones for most of the season on defense, and then how they had to adjust and adapt on offense with the change of, of coordinators. Um, and so, yeah, I agree that the, the coaching has been excellent. Uh, and I'm hopeful that it continues. I hopeful I'm hopeful that wasn't a kind of one-off experience of seeing McDermott coach in clutch situations aggressively and confidently, as opposed to afraid and uh, nervously. And I think after 18 weeks of football and 17 games, I think here is my take: this team is going to win if they're going to make a Super Bowl run exactly in this way. There is no other switch that they're going to flip where all of a sudden Josh stops making dumb decisions or he becomes a more efficient passer at different levels of the field. There is too much of a sample size from this season, I think, for us to continue to cling to that notion and cling to that fantasy. This offense can be very effective, even though it's been less efficient under Joe Brady. But with this defense playing at this level, this is a Buffalo Bills team, I think, that is going to win exactly like we've been seeing them win since the bye. Ugly games questionable decisions made on the offensive side the the perfect run that we had in that patriots game a few years back in the wild card round where we scored on seven consecutive drives i don't think that's this team i don't think this team has that switch that they can flip but i do think this is a team who's happy to roll around in the muck with you and win in any way that they can ugly pretty or otherwise and I think because of that, because this is a team that can win with a variety of different phases within the game, I think that makes them an exceptionally dangerous squad for any other group that they might face. Agreed. Agreed completely. And, you know, I think that's what the playoffs are always a street fight. And we've seen the Bills show up to the playoffs a few seasons in a row now as front runners and get punched in the mouth. And so I think that this is a chance for them to prove they can be the puncher. And so I'm excited for that this matchup. I'm so happy that they shut the, the Dolphins down. I mean, some of the talk coming into that last week's matchup from Dolphins Nation, Finns Nation, 
was just so, oh my God, it was abysmal. It was like, yeah, step down. We're the bosses now, blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, you were, you had a three game lead with five to go and you squandered it away, puked all over yourself. And then the effort that the dolphins put up with, with the, it was the bills trying to help them with three turnovers that kept that close in the scoreboard. That should have been a 42 to 14 or 42 to seven game at the end. Dan, Dan Lebetard, who I love based out of Miami, amazing sportscaster, podcaster, writer, everything. Uh, he, he said it perfectly. That's the game you need from Josh Allen to beat the Buffalo Bills. He handed it to them on a silver platter and they couldn't close the deal. I, listen, I, I don't like to be a hot take guy, but this is going to feel like a pretty hot take. Blowing a lead that the Dolphins had with three games to go being tested in the way that they were tested, knowing that the narrative around with them was that they couldn't beat quality opponents, they couldn't beat winning teams at the point that they faced them. They had an opportunity to shut down all of those narratives with some gritty, tough play to close out the season, and they couldn't, could not get over that hump. This should go down as one of the biggest choke jobs in sports history, the way they squandered that divisional lead. The Bills headed into the bye 6-6, six and six, The Dolphins were still riding high after being one of the quote-unquote best offenses that we've ever seen in NFL history. Flash forward to the final five games of the season, the Dolphins averaged under, under JJ, 20 points a game on offense, on offense. A team that that lit up the Broncos for 70 earlier in the season could not muster 20. The TD to INT ratio for two at the end of the season was one to one, passing TDs to INTs. This is an offense that you and I said it looks like the league had figured out and there were not a lot of wrinkles that McDaniel was throwing other than the run game. I, I stated in the offseason that Miami's offseason was an offseason of arrogance where they didn't address any of their deficiencies and tried to double down on their strengths. And I would say that that arrogance is what cost them the division heading into those last weeks of the season. Any other team in the league would have been there wanting to prove the doubters wrong so bad the Dolphins really failed to rise to the moment. And as a result of that, to me, this is one of the biggest choke jobs I've ever seen. They failed well, yeah. in every area they needed to succeed. And the choke job, I think, started with that Titans. They squandered, they got two turnovers, two touchdowns in the last four minutes to go up two touchdowns over the Titans. And the tight, the Will Levis-led Titans came back to win that game in the last four minutes, which was just you know amazing <laughs> and like started the, this narrative of, of the choke job that you mentioned. Um, I love the stat during the game they showed on the broadcast uh, going into halftime 14 to seven. It said the Dolphins with the lead at halftime are 11 and O that this season. And that's true that it's like we talked about in the preview pod. They're front runners. They're there to, you know, they want to get the lead. They want to keep the lead. They want to, they want to go for it. They're not like we said, the gritty street fight team that this bills unit has become where they can pull it out when it gets nasty and gross and it got nasty and gross midpoint of that game. And then the Bills, like you mentioned, with all the statistical you know, production on the box score, pretty much just took over the second half. Tua couldn't do anything. It looked abysmal when he was trying to throw to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is not 100%. They didn't have Raheem Mostert. They didn't have Jalen Waddell. And I think that that's part of the, the story. Um, uh, one of the you know Dolphins beat reporter, um, oh, Louis Jacques. What's yeah, Marcel Louis-Jacques. Marcel Louis-Jacques. Yeah, I forgot he, his first name. He used, he used to, to do the Bills. ESPN yeah. stuff for the Bills before yeah, Gettysburg, yeah. So the thing that he said a couple of times in media hits this this week that I heard that I really liked, well, leading up to the Dolphins game anyway, 
was he said that um, injuries are not an excuse, but they can be an explanation. And so I think that that's, that's reasonable, right? Like we as Bills fans can say that too. Like when we're playing without Matt Milano, when we're playing without Daquan Jones, we see the difference that can explain the way that teams can attack you a little bit, but not an excuse. You, you have to rise up. It's next man up in the NFL and it's, you know, not for long league. And so um, seeing the, the Dolphins come through and, and just kind of, again, puke all over themselves, squander a two touchdown or a touchdown lead um, at the half and then not do anything with three turnovers um, by Josh Allen is just, it's, it's delicious. It's been delicious as Bills fans this week, I think. Agreed. I, I, I take issue with, with Marcel's take only in, in one small respect, right? The injury history of the guys that the Dolphins are missing has been very well known. They had an off season where they could have added more depth to the wide receiver room and instead decided to roll with what they had and traded for freaking Chase Claypool at the trade deadline. They signed every single injury prone, <laughs> injury prone um, running back that they possibly could to this roster. And they drafted a dynamic, but also injury prone running back and Devon Achan as well. Like at some point, yes, injuries are not an excuse. But the lack of depth and the personnel choices that Dolphins made, I think in equal parts led them here because this is also an offense that gets guys hurt, especially wide receivers. You know Jalen Waddell has an injury history, yet he's constantly going across the middle to find one of these predetermined windows that Tua wants to throw to, and he gets absolutely lit up across the middle of the field every single game. The same thing is starting to happen to Tyreek Hill as well. If I was a wide receiver... I would not want to play in this offense because it's going to shorten my career exponentially. But that's the thing to me. The lack of self-awareness that the Miami Dolphins approach their roster build and personnel decisions in is part of the reason why they got to this point. Yes, you cannot predict who is going to get hurt with a great level of accuracy, but they've got a lot of injury-prone guys on this team with a, a scheme that invites injury. Like, I have no sympathy for where they landed at the end of the season at all. Yeah, no, that that's fair. Um, that's fair, and I think that too. It's you know, I'm I'm happy that Tua had was able to stay healthy, but I think that Same. that yeah, you know, Same. I'm I'm I think the league is better when Tua is playing, and I very very much like him as a ball distributor. But I think what we've seen now is that this is Tua's ceiling. Without weapons and without a clean pocket, he is a lesser quarterback, and he's not going to get it done in crunch time unless he has the talent around him. Every Which single, is fine. Like yeah. that's that's a way that you can win in the league. That was, I mean, you can you can point to several Super Bowl winning team, including Joe Flacco's Ravens, right? Like that made the whole run and got a championship with a quarterback who's not gonna make, he's not gonna put the team on his back. Is I guess what I'm saying. Right. Every single team that beat Miami last season and this season did it the same way. Take away the middle of the field, force to a th to throw to the numbers because he can't do it with any yep. level of consistency or efficacy. Like it's it like if I'm a Dolphins fan, other than like some of the cool wrinkles in the run game that McDaniel has done, I'm asking where's the real innovation in this offense from year to year? Where's the evolution? Where's the growth? Because it's not there. It's well, it's because there's there's they're capped skill limits, you know, there's skill limitation caps on Tua's game. And that's it, right? Like that's the answer. First read, middle of the field, if it, if those two things are off the table, which is hard to do. Most defenses, especially with the eye candy, the motion um, I, I forget which coach in the league called, uh, he called the motion, the kind of towards the line of scrimmage motion, cheat motion. 
because mm-hmm. it is like it's you know it's it a, it's it's a kind of you're not allowed to move towards the line of scrimmage. But Tyreek Hill would do a lot of motions where he took one inside step to to be moving forward the moment the ball was snapped. Oh yeah, um, yeah, just to get that little bit of an edge. If you're able to defend against that, then they don't have an answer otherwise. And so I think that that's you know what we'll see. And you know I was trolling. I wasn't trolling because I didn't say anything, but I was creeping, I guess, on the uh, Dolphins subreddit after the game. And there was a lot of unhappy Fins Nation looking for uh, Mike or um, uh, looking for the, the change at quarterback or coach, which I think is the, that's what happens when you when you have this kind of late season collapse. Yeah, absolutely. It, that is an appropriate reaction for a fan base. They probably never deserve the accolades that were thrown their way this season anyway. So, JJ, I, I've had my fill of Dolphins yeah, talk. Yeah, me too. Um, I was just going to say, let's yeah, move on. Yep, yeah, I, I want to move on because I could bash that team all day. I really could. So, at this transition point, you know, I, I know we've got some additional downloads. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, my, my physical therapy uh, guys who will be listening to this pod and any other new listeners. Um, the way this pod goes is Dan and I are, we are fans. We like, we like the sport. We know the NFL by just kind of studying and looking at it. Um, Dan's a stats guru. I like X's and O's. And every week we do a once a week podcast where we break down the previous game that the Bills have played. And then we do the preview of kind of matchups and things we like in the upcoming weekend. So we've been talking about both as we go, but now we're going to transition fully into Bill Steelers. What do you got first, Dan? Where do you want to start? Uh, I want to start this. Oh God. Let's start with the Bills offense against the Steelers defense. So I had mentioned that the Bills are are a team that are happy to roll around in the muck and the mud and win a game in, in any way that they can. That is also the preferred method of winning that the Steelers have had to deploy this season. So JJ, the Steelers are the first team since 1970 to make the playoffs averaging under 18 points a game on offense. Offensively this season, the Steelers have averaged 17.9 points per game on offense. Um, absolutely putrid, going through three QBs this season, eventually landing on Mason Rudolph. But there's a couple of reasons that the Steelers team is in the position that it's in, especially being in a competitive division like the AFC North. One, they play great defense. And this is a team that plays a lot of man. This is a team that is excellent at shutting down your first and second option as well. And this is a team that's going to blitz. They've got a top five blitz rate in the league coming into the postseason right now. So this is a team that likes to throw a lot of confusing stuff at opposing QBs and bring the opposing offense down to their level. Keep the game close. This is a team also that hasn't been great running the ball on offense this season, but they've gotten better at it as they've gone on. And listen, this is going to sound like shade, but it's not. The Steelers team has also been, JJ, incredibly lucky when it comes to turnover-worthy plays. They sit at the league average DVOA for the amount of turnover-worthy plays that they have put out there this season. Fumbles on offense, um, missed opportunities on defense. But they've benefited from an exceptional amount of luck. They have the same amount of offensive fumbles as the Buffalo Bills do this season, 18 and 18. But the Steelers have recovered those fumbles at the fourth highest clip in the league, whereas the Bills are 27th in the league at recovering their own fumbles. That is a pure, it's a pure luck stat. It depends on where the ball bounces and all that kind of stuff. So the Steelers have been able to dictate game script with their defense this season and have also benefited from a little bit of luck. It's going to be interesting to see how the Bills respond because 
JJ, especially the Bills offense, they've been happy to play whatever game script gets thrown at them. This has not been a team since the bye outside of that Dallas game that is offensively dictated what the game script is. It feels like it feels like a matchup that the Steelers are kind of salivating for because they know they're going to have a willing dance partner to dance around in the muck in Josh Allen on the other side of the ball. Oh yeah, they they are they're looking they're looking at this as like this is this is the script. Uh, so there's a couple of different things that I think benefit the the Steelers defense against this Bills offense and one is that the Bills have struggled profoundly against odd front blitz heavy schemes. The Steelers blitz sixth most in the league at per, you know, per snap and um they do have that 3-4 odd front where they have more linebackers on the field than they have down linemen. On top of that, you know, even without um TJ Watt playing in this game, the Pittsburgh Steelers have a, a combination front and down linemen that I think can really give the Bills problems. They've Keanu Benton was a player coming out that I really liked in the draft. He's had a decent season. Cameron Hayward, of course, late in his career, but has been kind of a Bills killer. And then we saw that in the preseason game, even that the um Nick Herbig, a rookie as well, was like wrecking the Bills in snaps. And so to see how this offensive line handles that front, you know, Larry Ogunjobi is 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 a solid um, player. Marcus Golden is a, is a good pass rusher who's kind of one of those savvy vets. They've got a lot going for them, uh, and then not to mention Alex Highsmith, who I think is it's the kind of thing that um, Alex Highsmith is to T.J. Watt as Phil Hansen was to Bruce Smith. He is a he is a motor player who gets sacks and like gets pressure. Because he never gives up, he's technically sound, and he works extra hard for it. And so I think that that's the kind of thing that that has hurt. The Bills have have seen those matchups and and struggled with them, specifically in situations where there is a really strong interior pressure player like Cam Hayward, and a solid you know motor player on the outside like Alex Highsmith. That's been giving the Bills a lot of problems this this season. And so I'm worried about that. And I think that again, as you mentioned, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is the kind that takes advantage of mistakes. Um, and tends to play, you know, sound football on the back end and not make a lot of mistakes, not a lot of blown coverage. Um, with the, you know, with the exceptions here and there, I think that Steelers fans probably would say that they, they've preferred this season when Minka Fitzpatrick was out of the lineup because he is one of those players in the back end and coverage who takes risks, kind of like Rasul Douglas. He reads and tries to jump routes and has been burned by that a few times, but also I'm, he's an all pro level player. Like he, you know, you kind of trust him to do that. Same as it's sort of like a Josh Allen of the defense, right? He's going to, he's going to put some, put some tape out there that you're like, oof, that's a rough choice to make and, and kind of blew the play. But then on the counterpoint, he'll make that same choice the next play and, and pick it off and kind of, and get it, get a nice return and those sorts of things. So, you know, this defense is like you said, they're, they're happy, probably happily dancing into Orchard Park on, you know, on house money because there was a point in time where they never expected to be able to make it into the playoffs again, playing with their third QB. Um, and, and to the point that you made prior about the, you know, not that we're switching over to the offense for the Steelers yet, they haven't averaged many points per, per game, but they've aver- they've had two of the last three games where they got 30 or more. So I don't think we can count on, um, you know, this being a super low scoring game, especially if they can establish the run, but flipping back to the defense, Um, this is, you know, the kind of thing where the bills need to have their front solid and they need to give Osiris Torrance some help. And I say that because the last few weeks he has struggled quite a lot in getting off of twists and stunts in the middle of the defense. 
Um, and it, you know, I, I think that the rookie wall sometimes can be sort of overblown, but I think it's real this time. He's he's had 1,300 snaps or so this season, and the most he ever had in a single season in college was about 820. And so I think that it's real that he might be, you know, running to the end of his end of his limit with this season. I, I he's love hit the this, rookie wall. Yeah. yeah, he's hit the wall. Yeah, I love the season he's put together, and I'm really excited to see a full off season where he's not doing draft prep and, you know, preparing to run a 40 yard dash and all that nonsense. And instead is working to, you know, increase his stamina for the season, improve his game, improve his understanding of the playbook, those sorts of things. Um, And not be, you know, wondering who, what team he's going to play for at all, but rather know exactly what he needs to do for this offense in this position in this situation. So um, I'm expecting the bills offense to, to roll out some 12 personnel with Knox and Kincaid on the field at the same time. I would love to see some 22 personnel, if the especially if the weather's bad, because the Bills do have, you know, they have a decent uh, fullback. And, and, you know, I think that they have some bigger backs. I'm expecting playoff Lenny to be elevated. If Ty Johnson is out for this game with that injury he suffered, I expect that maybe Lenny, Leonard Fournette and Latavius Murray are up with James Cook. And I would I would like to see some heavy set with James Cook running the ball. The past three or four weeks, he's been bad at yards after contact, which is something that we both were really impressed by early in the season for Cook, where he'd take some contact and squirt forward for three or four yards extra. Um, he's been kind of going down on the spot for the last four or five weeks. And I wonder how how much that is him, how much that is like kind of changes in the blocking, how much of that is like, you know, him not getting as much room to work um, in the rushing game. So or and how much of that is the defense is keying on him because I think that what we'll see from the Steelers defense, they have a suspect uh, linebacking core. I think they're on their third and fourth, kind of you know similar to the Bills in this game. You know they're they're in backup mode uh, with linebackers, but that defensive front again similar to the Bills is like the strength of their defense. So we're gonna see what happens on offense and how that defense from the Steelers keys on James Cook because the last few weeks a lot of Defensive coordinators have been really focused on shutting him down, and I think that that's been effective. Um, and so how are the Bills going to make them pay if they load the box um, and Josh Allen's able to cut through some of this wind and, and and throw to the outside? Yeah, you know, the Steelers unit, JJ, is the number sixth by DVOA ranked passing defense in the league, and they are they are incredible. They are no worse than seventh when taking away an opposing team's first two outside options, wide receiver one and wide receiver two, and taking away an opposing team's tight end, which, despite those linebacker injuries, I think is a testament to the role that Minka Fitzpatrick plays in their pass game as well. I would look in a very, very excited way to see what's going to happen if Fitzpatrick finds himself one-on-one with Dalton Kincaid, if the Bills do decide to roll out some um, some 22. Um, all that being said, though, there are a couple of areas where you can attack this Steelers defense. And I think the first area is out of the slot. So the Pittsburgh Steelers this season are 17th, according to DVOA, when defending against the slot. Now, we're just got out. We're not going to have Gabe Davis for this game. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens on the outside. I think the Buffalo Bills are going to play a lot more Trent Sherfield to also tidy up things in the, and blocking for James Cook on the outside as well. I think we're going to see a little bit more outside zone with Cook as a result of that. But I think that's going to free up Khalil Shakir to hopefully have an amazing day coming out of the slot. He had a couple of breakout plays in that Dolphins game, and he is the only Buffalo Bills primary wide receiver, so one through three on the depth chart, 
that doesn't have a drop this season, JJ. He's been a reliable target. His routes are always on time. And I think even with the weather playing out the way it's going to be in Buffalo, Shakir could be a big key against this Pittsburgh Steelers defense and opening some things up for Josh Allen. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense also struggles, JJ, in defending opposing teams running backs out, um, when they come uh, out of the line of scrimmage to catch passes out of the backfield. That speaks exactly to your point about the struggles this linebacking core has had with injury and with performance this season. And if you're going to dedicate or if you're going to shadow Fitzpatrick over um, Stefan Diggs, or if you're going to give him the assignment of Dalton Kincaid, James Cook, while he may struggle to run the ball against heavy boxes, could potentially eat and catching areas out of the backfield as well. To me, JJ, the recipe for success here is simple. A heavy dose of James Cook out of the backfield and a heavy dose of Khalil Shakir, who has been your most reliable, and I say that with no hesitance, your most reliable wide receiving target this season, game in and game out. If those two guys are featured in this game plan, it sticks with the Joe Brady strategy that he has deployed for so many games, which is to relentlessly attack the one thing he knows you can't stop. And the Steelers do not have the personnel to deploy to stop guys coming out of the slot, and they struggle with running backs coming out um, to catch passes out of the backfield. If I'm Brady, I am scheming for Shakir, I'm scheming for Cook, and I'm scheming for playoff Lenny, who is an excellent catcher of the football out of the backfield. And I'm going to I'm going to let Pittsburgh do whatever else they want to do, because I know I can beat them that way. Yeah, agreed. And I think that, too, that's going to play, you know, especially if the weather's bad. Josh Allen has enough of an arm to throw within 10 yards, within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, strong, even in strong winds to some of those targets if they need to get it out quick because of the pass rush. And in the run game, you know, Alex Highsmith and Nick Herbig on the outside, they are not huge. You know, they're not the same size as like a Greg Rousseau or um, another kind of large. They're not TJ Watt. They're not like a, a specimen who's going to be able to set the edge and hold it. If you get them on duo blocks, if you use your tight ends, if you use kind of a lead blocker and those sorts of things. So I think there's some opportunities here in the in the run game, especially with the tackle wrap, the dart concept, the duo, some of the stuff that the Bills have shown that they can they can pull off in the run game. If they're able to establish the physical tone and double, you know, Cam Hayward and double and and give Osiris Torrance some help at the point of attack, I think that they, we, you know, Spencer Brown and Osiris Torrance can can make some some hay in the running game. They can run off that right side, basically run directly at you know some of these lighter, more technician based uh, pass rushers for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then of course come off of that with play action because Josh Allen, though he's had an inconsistent season. And you and I were talking kind of pre-pod about how he's regressed in a lot of ways and some of the things that we've expected him to do better and be better at. He has actually taken pretty major steps back. He's His passing chart, he's basically only throwing really accurate balls to the right side of the field. He's missing and, and lo- losing some routes to the left side of the field. His deep ball accuracy is less than half that of what it was last season. Um, there's a lot of areas that he's struggled in, but, you know, Short and easy completions, quick in the face of pressure, and play action is the secret here. Establish the run and and use play action because that is the one area of his game that he has consistently been able to deliver on and has an outstanding TD to interception ratio, has an outstanding completion percentage, has an outstanding passer rating when using play action, Dan. So I'm expecting and hoping that we see Joe Brady work some play action in, that they can neutralize some of the pass rush with the run, 
and that they can, you know, make some of those easy button short completions. This is playoff football. I think that what we see from Josh Allen this week on offense is going to help set the tone for what we expect this team to do in the entire playoffs if they're able to make it past the, the Steelers this weekend. Um, if we see him, you know, using, you know, playing within the scope of the offense, using some of those um, route concepts and not turning down the easy passes, easy completions. I think this is a team that's primed for a deep run as long as the defense stays consistent. Uh, but if we see kind of what we saw in the first half against the Dolphins, where he's, you know, making some kind of boneheaded plays, he's turning down the easy two or three yard completion on fourth and one, and instead throwing an interception, um, that this may be a, a brief outing into the playoffs for the Bills. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm glad you brought up, because I think this is a tough topic for people to discuss, some of the regression, and I think it's fair to call it regression, that we've seen in Josh's game this season. Last season, JJ, he was an, a, he was an average to above average passer to every level of the field, and he dominated downfield. It was one of his best deep ball, deep ball passing seasons that he's ever had. This year, and I don't know what it is, but teams have really locked down the middle of the field and the left side of the field, and they're forcing Josh to his right. And he's been effective, but they're basically forcing him to play with one arm tied behind his back. You and I talked preseason about the need to exploit the middle of the field to help Josh's game grow, and he hasn't done that. But credit to this Bills coaching staff, because they have really developed him into one of the best play-action passers in the league. So I agree with you. I think the recipe for success here is Shakir, it's Cook, and it's using some of this play-action that they've so intentionally developed into Josh's game. And listen, keep it simple for him, right? Like, this Buffalo Bills team is fourth when it comes to time of possession and 28th when it comes to pace of play this year. Those are things, JJ, that you and I have lamented at times because we've want to seen the Bills run the uh, A-gun offense out there where Josh is just in the muddle huddle or no huddle and calling his shots and reacting as he goes because he is a better passer when it comes to that. That is not something I think that's going to benefit the Bills with the weather or against the opponent that they're facing this particular game. So I think everything that the Bills have structured in Allen's game, for better or worse, can absolutely be optimized. And it's going to need to be optimized if they're going to get away from what I think is going to be a surprisingly tough opponent for them. So do you want to switch over to the other side of the ball, JJ? You yeah. Want to talk, I, yeah, Bills I'll, D versus Mason Rudolph. Sure, sure. And I'll give one last thought on the, the Steelers defense to the Bills offense. I think that, you know, my, my final thought is like, of course, we've talked about all the different keys to this Bills offense taking the day. Um, the Steelers defense is probably the one defense in the league that I've watched on film uh, that populates to the football better or at the same rate as the Bills offense. The things that we love about the Bills offense or the Bills defense, sorry, um, about, you know, more more hats, more blue jerseys in the area, more um, guys at the point of attack, you know, taking down a runner, stripping the ball out. Uh, Christian Benford's, you know, strip play um, was against the Patriots was purely just that he was there with nothing else to do other than try for the punch out because there was so many Bills defenders in the area to secure the tackle. I think that this Steelers defense does that as well. So, you know, ball security is going to be huge for somebody like James Cook, who has shown some fumbling issues, some turnover issues for Josh Allen, for that matter, uh, who likes to play it fast and loose when he runs the ball. I expect him to be a runner at different times in this game. Um, and, you know, for any other player, you know, wide receiver, you know, skill position player, tight end, got to secure the ball because they populate to the football. But, yeah, let's let's flip over to the Bills offense or the Bills defense, sorry, against this um, 
Mason Rudolph-led Steelers offense. We shouldn't scoff, because as you mentioned, no. this has not been a good offense uh, points per game-wise, but he did have granted against some soft defenses a couple of 30-point efforts built yep. almost exclusively on forcing the ball downfield. It's like Mason Rudolph got his second shot at this. He's like, F it. I already screwed it up the last time. I'm playing with house money. Yeah, and he's been bombing. Whipping bombing. the ball to George Pickens, yes. no matter the coverage. Yep, exactly. But, and, and George Pickens has made him right several times. I think George Pickens throughout the season has gotten some some grief. I mean, he even made public comments that he's not going to block on a run play because he doesn't want to get injured like Tank Dell or, you know. How does Pittsburgh keep getting these wide receivers? How do they keep drafting these guys that are well, like this? It's like, what's the, yeah, what's the arc? Because it's like, yeah, Le- Le'Veon Bell, Antonio uh, Brown. Like, Antonio Brown, my God. Yeah, we're going to, and then, you know, Chase Claypool. Yes. Uh, How who, do they keep the doing guy, this? Who's the guy who was dancing on the logos? Oh, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, like yes. it's like in order to play at a skill possession is position in Pittsburgh, you either have to be, you know, um, like I think Najee Harris is more in the tone of like the Jerome Bettis type, you know, the like workman-like, Agreed. solid, you know, like, but I, but it's so funny for sk- so many other skill position players over the past decade or whatever, it's like this guy's like an absolute nightmare in the locker room in terms of personality issues and conflicts and so here we have george you know george pickens saying he's not going to block uh for jalen warren and then um you know and getting roasted for it but in terms of catching the ball he has done some amazing things for mason rudolph he basically said you know i'll make you right no matter how bad or weird the throw is and it's paid off that's how they've gotten some deep shot touchdowns mason rudolph like you said is just going to let it rip uh and we'll see with the win with the bills better than the the steelers have faced passing defense and better than the Steelers has faced um, pass rush because I think that you, what you saw with the uh, the Steelers the last few weeks is they've faced you know middling to poor defenses specifically in pass coverage and in pass rush and that's two areas that the Bills have been exempt exemptional at this these past five weeks and so we'll see you know what shows up here for for the Bills defense and I think some of the injuries are going to you know play a factor it looks like you know. Um, we probably we won't see Taylor Rapp. We know that much. Um, we may not see Rasul Douglas. We may not see Terrell Dodson, um, which means it's going to be you know ripe for possible Bale Inspector game. Who I, I thought had some really nice snaps against the Dolphins, fitting the run when Terrell Dodson uh, went out, and then uh, AJ Klein signed to the pra- practice squad this week. Possible call up for this game as well. And I'll say this. For this Bills defense, I would be worried if they if somebody was like, "Ooh, Bale Inspector and AJ Klein might be in in three you know three linebacker sets um, this week in the playoffs." I'd be worried about almost any team other than the the Pittsburgh Steelers. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, that might be actually a boon because I think AJ Klein and Bale Inspector both do something that you know other linebackers on the team don't do, and that's fit the run when it's coming straight at them extremely well. And that is exactly what the Steelers do. They're not a, a wide zone, you know, they're not a, you know, sideline to sideline motion team like the Dolphins are with the way that they like to run the ball. The Steelers basically say, we have our guys, you have our your guys, we're coming straight at you, try to stop us. We got Najee Harris, who's like 6'2", 240 pounds, um, and he's a hammer. And their whole their whole offense is predicated in the run game on trying to get Najee Harris one-on-one with any of your defensive secondary players, any cornerback, any safety, because if we can block up 
the front line and the linebackers, we like our chances with Najee hitting a, a cornerback or a safety. I really worry about that in this lineup or in this this match, especially with Taylor Rapp likely out of the you know out of the game. Of course, Poyer and Hyde are not at the same level that they once were uh, at meeting you know meeting running backs in the hole. And so, really, it's going to be on the second level defenders: Terrell Bernard, um, Balen Spector, AJ Klein, likely. Um, Dor- Dorian Williams, I I don't know if I want to see because especially against the run. He just he is he makes the fastest he he is the he will get to the wrong place in a run fit faster than any player on the field. <laughs> like that's not helpful, right? Like we don't need you to be covering a gap that's already covered in 0.2 seconds. We need you to stay disciplined in your hole. And Dorian Williams has been very poor at that. I think the Patriots, you know, showed showed that pretty well when he started against them a few weeks ago um, and got benched pretty quickly because he was always out of position. I wouldn't forget about Taron Johnson in this run defense either. He is basically playing like a linebacker for the Buffalo Bills in this new scheme, for sure. Second team all pro, Taron yes, Johnson. My guy deserves it. Deserve first team all pro, in my opinion, but I'm biased. Yes. So there you he's go. A, he's a, basically, he is the, you know, if Mitch Morris is the key to the offense, you know, then Taron Johnson is the key to this defensive front in a lot of yeah. ways. He, he is the pivot. They're always in nickel. And he makes makes them right more often than not. Yeah, he's maybe the only CB on the team that I want to see one on one with Najee Harris in the hole. Yep, absolutely. He, I mean, and this is no shade at Milano, but if if Taron Johnson were to go down, it changes the not just the schematic nature of this team, but what each of the individual other ten players on the squad need to do in order to make up for everything that Johnson does on the field. Johnson is a, he is a high ceiling, uh, high ceiling guy that raises the floor on other players because he lets them do what they specialize in because he can do so much so well. Yeah. That's the guy. If we lost, I would really fear for this defense, but, but yeah, man, uh, this, this Pittsburgh offense, like it is so hard to make of it because they're the variance that they have played with has been so crazy. And you did a great job narratively describing philosophically how Pittsburgh wants to attack you. But really, up until the last couple of games where, again, they played soft competition, so it's really hard to gauge whether or not this team took a step. This has been a team that has struggled to run the ball in that physical manner all season. They have faced a lot of heavy boxes because of their quarter QB issues. But this is a team, JJ, that comes into the this wildcard weekend Finishing the season ranked 20th in passing DVOA and 12th in rushing DVOA. Their weighted DVOA, which takes into more recent account, their performance as a team only has them overall at 15th this season. So over the past few weeks, and this counts the Mason Rudolph boost that they've gotten. It, they, they, like us, got rid of their offensive coordinator in Matt Canada, much to the happiness of Pittsburgh Steelers fans earlier on in the season. But very similar to us, too, I don't think that they have reaped the benefits of that transition the way that they hoped that they would. It is a team similarly to us that has won a lot of games after that transition, but statistically speaking and schematically speaking, have not really found a firm foothold. You don't want this to be a get-right game for a Steelers offense that has struggled to run the ball, uh, um, with the exception of recent weeks, and you definitely don't want this to be a game where you have had a secondary in the Buffalo Bills that has done so well at limiting explosive plays that this be the game that you let a couple up. I, 
I have more faith in the Steelers' defense against this Bills' offense, JJ, than I do in the Steelers' offense against this Bills' defense. This, to me, out of all phases of the game, feels like the matchup that is most skewed in the Bills' favor, even despite the injuries that we're looking at right now to the linebacker core. I think Terrell Bernardo is going to know exactly, exactly what the play call is coming from Pittsburgh because their playbook is so is so limited. They're not going to use a lot of trickery. They're not going to use a lot of motion. They're going to try to run it right at you. And to me, with the way the secondary plays against the run, I actually think it's a benefit to the Buffalo Bills if if the Steelers were to play that type of game plan. Weather being another factor as well, he, here's the thing that this really all could come down to for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. What's their field position? Because if yeah. Josh is coughing up the ball and we're they're starting in plus territory against the Bills, that becomes a tall task for any defense to to defend against any NFL offense. To me, it's going to be all about field position. Where are the Steelers starting? Where are their drives going to start? And can the Buffalo Bills offense continue to chew up clock in the way that they have to help keep the ball and keep the field positionality for the Steelers defense at the absolute minimum? Well, and, and what what can this Bills defensive front do against the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of to, to win that physical battle? Because the Steelers will actually come out with three tight ends, and George Pickens is the only wide receiver on the field at times, you know, in like 13, per, or, you know, 13 personnel, three tight ends. Um, with Pat Fryermuth, Darnell Washington, who I loved coming out in the draft. He's like 6'7", like 270, and yeah. runs like a sub 4, 640. He's, He's like a amazing. sixth offensive yeah. lineman for them, though. Yes. I think he's caught like yeah. seven passes this yeah. season. Fryermuth has only caught like 30. Yeah. They just don't use their tight ends, which is they, crazy. They don't, yeah, they don't use, because they've got some good ones. But, you know, I'll say that, you know, looking at the defensive or the offensive line play for the Steelers, Isaac Samalu, or Samalu, who's come back in, I think he was injured for a bit, has come back into their left guard, is their best offensive lineman. And then they have Broderick Jones out of Georgia, who I, I loved in the draft as well as their right tackle. Those are their best two. And then everybody else is sort of your average or above average. This is not the years, um, in years past, where the, the Pittsburgh offensive line was like basically the strength of the entire roster. Um, it is this, a different kind of story now with a couple of really strong players and mostly average, you know, average to above average starters. Not a lot of guys that are going to be vulnerabilities. I think James Daniels, their right great guard, is a little bit of a vulnerability. Uh, Dan Moore, their left tackle, I think they definitely should be looking for an upgrade there. And so I'm hopeful that against a rookie right tackle in Broderick Jones, who's had an excellent year so far, um, but more importantly against the left tackle Dan Moore, we get to see some things, you know, with this Bills defensive front. Um, I'll say this, I think, and I, I said this today to other Bills fans, um, I would like to see Von Miller inactive, and I would like to see Linval Joseph up. I want to see uh, Puna Ford, Linval Joseph, get all the beep on this this game um, so that you can clog the fr- that front and make, make Mason Rudolph beat you. Because I don't think Von Miller offers you anything at all um, other than being a liability if the Steelers want to key on him, especially if they want to get, you know, their center... Mason Cole and their their right guard James Daniels may not be you know plus starters in a lot of ways, but they are incredibly athletic, and they can get on the move. And one of them on the move against Von Miller is a, an absolute liability with the way that he's played. He is not able to set the edge. He looks poor in run fits, and so you know I'm really hopeful that the the Bills defensive front can make them pay um, by 
adding some beef and subtracting Von Miller. But we'll, we'll see. I think it's one of those deals where the the coaching staff still has this in their in their mind that they're going to get something from him, that they're going to see something special or he's going to spark something because all of a sudden it's, you know, postseason play, farther from his injury. I just don't see it. I think that, you know, watching him on tape um, game over game in all 22, he's woefully out of position. He's got no spark. His get off is slow. His counters and his his moves are, are there, but he's got nothing behind them. Like it's it's weird. It's like watching. Um, it, it's like he's still injured in a lot of ways. The punch that he has in his hands, the moves he tries to to pull off on tackles are easily avoided by them. There, he's not dipping the corner. He's not stretching stretching the edge on tackles. It, it's bad. It's bad to see after seeing so much amazing Von Miller play in previous seasons to watch kind of how sad it is right now. And so I, I don't think that he's going to add anything to this defense if he's up. Sadly, I agree. We've said it before. We've said it again. The ACL is a two-year injury, and it looks like Miller is just, he's going to need a fuller offseason before he's going to be effective for the squad. I agree. I agree. You don't want all that experience, especially with his playoff performances sitting on the bench. But at this point, You've got to take the sample size that's most recently in front of you and not hope for something that you saw two or three years ago, right? Agreed. Can't keep, can't keep fooling yourself on the hopium pipe if you're, a, you're right. making personnel decisions for the yep. squad. All right, JJ, speaking of hopium pipe, you want to get to prediction sure to go wrong? Let's do it. All right, let's start with score. I'm going to go with you because I feel like I always, I feel like, so just so people know, we do not exchange predictions prior to us doing this pod. And I always feel like, JJ, I am stealing your score prediction, and you have to adjust on the fly. So why don't you go first this time with your score prediction for this game? So I, I like the Bills. Um, this one's going to be a more realistic score prediction. I've always been so freaking positive. This season, I'm like, oh, this is a lesser team. The Bills should really boat race them. Um, I'm going more realistic this time around. I tried last week, too, to be more realistic, and the Bills actually proved better than I thought they would thought they'd need a fourth quarter comeback and they ended up kind of securely, you know, defeating the Dolphins by the end of the third quarter. They were in, in the driver's seat with that game. So I'll say this. I think that the Bills, I think it's a messy game. I think the weather plays a factor. I think the Bills need to gut it out like we've been talking about. I think it's a street fight. And I want to say Bills 24, Steelers 21. So the the over-under on this game is, I want to say it's down to like, 34 and a half points or 35 points like it's low it's really really low and i think weather is playing a huge factor into that i'm gonna say 17 10 i think this is a spectacularly ugly game with two teams one by choice one by the choice of their qb and the bills that play ugly and win ugly and i think when you throw the mess of the weather that buffalo is looking to be hit with I just think this is going to be one of those games that is tense, that is physical, and ultimately uh, lands in a very low-scoring affair. So 17-10, Buffalo. I don't think they cover the spread, and I don't think we hit the over. Uh, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I'm so worried. This is going to be such, like, I'm, again, have your cardiologist on call for this one, because it's going to be, it's it maybe will be one of those, again, where, like, Josh Allen does some things, that you're like, oh my god! And then he, you know, what? Why is he making such poor choices? But then he does like the we didn't even talk about it, but the Dolphins, the third and thirteen run, 
where there were three Dolphins defenders within two yards of him and he still had five yards to go. And he somehow, you know, well, Cater Coho made a business decision that he wasn't going to tackle Josh Allen and kind of jumped out of the way. But otherwise, you know, the kinds of things that our, our Buffalo um, Josh Allen can do, um, I think we see some of that, but I think we also see some mistakes. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think that your, your score is more likely than mine. I'm, again, sort of hopeful that it's a messy game, but the Bills offense is able to get some things done. Um, I've got a defensive prop for you. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's do it. AJ Epineza plus 0.5 turnovers. That's a fumble, fumble, force fumble, or interception. His turnover production has been down. Yes, I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna say under. It'd be nice okay. if he got one, but I'm gonna say under. I think the Bills will turn over the Steelers at least once in this game. There's only so far that turnover luck can follow you, and I think the Steelers coughed it up uh, in that final game against the Ravens like three or four times on yes. offense. Like. Yep. They were just lucky to recover some of those fumbles, which has been their story all season. I think yep. some of that luck runs out, though, and I think the Bills do turn the, the Steelers over at least once. I just don't know if it's going to be Epineza or not. I think it's going to be Epineza. Calling it. Ru- Rudolph doesn't throw behind the line of scrimmage, though, right? Like, so no, it would have to be yeah. a strip sack fumble. Yes. It wouldn't be and a pick. Which or is, a tip. Yeah. Tip pick. Yeah. Because they, they throw it, a lot of yeah. screens. That's what I'm thinking of. It. Yeah. That that was Kenny, that was Kenny Pickett's bag, for sure. Yeah. And that was Mitch Trubisky's bag because you can't trust him in a forward passing game. But man, they've been letting Rudolph cook downfield, dude. I don't know. I don't know. They might they might deploy it for this game. It's it's interesting. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take the under. It's interesting. It's okay. a really good prop. Um, I got one. You ready for this? Yep. Josh Allen, more rushing yards than passing yards. Oh, yes. Um, um, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm under on that. Whatever, whatever I have to say to, I don't <laughs> you, you know, betting terms. One, you you got to pick one okay. or the other. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say more passing yards. You um, think so? Yes. You think so? Yeah. I think this one's going to, I think we are not prepared for how ugly this game is going to be. And yes, that's an extreme prop for sure. And I mean, he could connect on three or four passes to Shakir and Diggs that, and be, and that's be over. I'm, I know yeah. how absurd it is, right? That's what I'm saying. It is absurd <laughs> because it's like. If he hits one <laughs> sideline ball to Kincaid for 48 yards and one throw to Diggs for 20 and then like some little trash to like underneath wide, you know, wide receivers or running backs, he'll, he'll eclipse a hundred yards passing. That's right. easy. It's seeing another, a hundred yard rushing game out of Josh Allen. Well, it would seem special to me. He ran the ball 15 times or something like absurd against Miami yeah. for like 70 yards. Right. So yes. like I, I know how absurd it is, but it's fascinating to think about in the terms of the style of game the Steelers are going to force them to play. You, you know what this one feels like? It feels like that Ravens game back in the just after the COVID season of 2020. So it was January 21. It feels like that. That's oh, yeah. what I think we're into. It was bad weather in that game in Buffalo too. Um, it was a really good Ravens defense that was able to shut down the passing game, take away Josh's favorite targets. It feels like it's going to be that kind of game, right? And they won that game 10-7 on a Taron Johnson pick six. Taron Johnson pick six. I'd love to see another Taron Johnson pick six. I can tell you that much. Absolutely. Um, I I only have one offensive prop. It's Josh Allen, interceptions or other turnovers, 1.5. Over. 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 Smashing the over. Over. I'm going to – It's just who he is. I'm also saying over. Yeah. It's who he is. Over two. He's going to fumble or throw a pick at least twice. 
I will say this last game per EPA. So, so the reason why a lot of nerds in the NFL stats game, except Josh Allen's turnovers is because they don't often cost the team points as far as advanced metrics go. The two red zone picks that he threw though, per EPA cost the bills a combined projected 15.7 points in that game. Those two, those two picks basically cost the bills the equivalent of two touchdowns and two extra points in that game. So Josh, for the most part, not the turnovers are harmless. We know that they're not, but Josh has been able to statistically overcome those turnovers with exceptional high variance, explosive play, either in the run or pass game on the offensive side. I hope that that Miami game was not a canary in the coal mine for the type of Josh we're going to see in the playoffs this season, because that was the first time where statistically speaking, Josh really, really cost this team points on the board. Yeah, no, I, I hope so too. I, I hope that was an outlier because, and I think it was to this point, to the t- point in time that that game happened, he was like 30 and zero in terms of touchdowns to turnovers in the red zone. And so I, I feel like that was an ex- exception to his usual play. Um, and, and we also know that Josh Allen tends to overcorrect um, for things that he, he's bad at in a game. And so I, I would find it surprising to see in this game upcoming turnovers in the red zone from Josh Allen. I think he's going to have turnovers. I think we both agree on that, but I don't think that they're going to have, I think it's more of the stuff that we've, we've seen in the past, you know, some arm punts and stuff between the twenties and not so much the, in the, in the red zone going in turnovers we saw against the dolphins. Um, do you have a defensive or offensive prop to close it out? I do. It's the turnover one over under over under 1.5 turnovers for the bills defense. So you have again, an exceptionally lucky Steelers offense that is number one in DVOA and turning the ball over, um, meaning that they turn the ball over the least amount per DVOA. Um, and you have an exceptionally opportunistic turnover, turnover, heavy bills, defensive scheme. Someone's got to give in this game. What's it going to be? I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say at least two in this particular game. I do think the Mason Rudolph, this is going to be the best defense that Mason Rudolph has faced all season. What the secondary is doing, as we said, with uh, post-snap rotations, confusing some of the best QBs in the league, it should confuse Mason Rudolph as well. And I think there's going to be opportunities, especially if Razul Douglas is healthy and you could put Benford on the other side of the field against Johnson. I think this is going to be a, there's going to be some opportunity here for sure. I'm going to agree with you and, and apologize. I wasn't able to jump in when you prompted me. I, you know, had a frog in my throat, but um, yeah, I agree with you completely that this is a, you know, this is a, a team in the, in the bills that the, they take advantage when offenses make mistakes. And I think Mason Rudolph is overdue for mistakes. There's something that we know about quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's that they tend to show you who they are you know, over a long enough period of time, he has been on an absolute heater. And a lot of the balls he's thrown to Pickens have been turnover worthy plays. It's only a matter of time before he shows what it, what it was when he was a third round pick and the possible successor to Ben Roethlisberger. And then ended up two or three years later being third on the death chart. Like there's, there has to be some sort of course, correct back to the average. Um, and so, you know, as I said, in kind of our pre-show text, um, this is like, you know, the unstoppable, you know, force meets the immovable object. 
This is when supremely talented high variability meets decently capable, remarkably consistent. That's what this game is. We're going to see. It's going to be so interesting to see. It's going to be agonizing to watch, win or lose, just the way the Bills have played recently, but it's going to be a fun one. Uh, also fun, JJ, was doing this pod with you. Uh, ha- happy to do another playoff preview with you. It's something that we know as longtime Bills fans, we don't always get a chance to talk playoffs, so we should cherish these beautiful, if yet brief moments as we get to experience <laughs> Enjoy them. Enjoy every minute of this weekend because we're going to, you know, we're going to see the rest of the AFC matchups happen before the Bills game Sunday at 1 at Highmark Stadium. So we'll know going into the Steelers game what the next round of the playoffs would be with a win. Here's to hoping. All right, here's to hoping it's KC, baby. I want I want Mahomes and Buffalo for the playoffs. Yes. All right. So for all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, and as always, go Bills. Go Bills.